we've been talking about uh, friendship as a, a lens of a way to imagine our relationship or our, our experience of God. Um, the first week where we discussed that, uh, Charles ended the message by showing this picture of the Trinity, and I don't have it up here to show you. That would have been nice, but I don't have it. It's right there. See, remember that? That's God. That's the Trinity. Minus one. Um, but it was, it was a picture um, of Father, Son, and Spirit at a table, and the idea was that one side of the table was open-ended. And there was an invitation for you to come and join Father, Son, and Spirit at the table. And it, it just hit me as something that was just really neat. Like that morning, just the, the idea that God is is welcoming me into friendship and is like, I really want to be your friend. And it, it kind of had that like um, Forrest Gump, uh, junior high lunchroom kind of feel where Forrest Gump's like seats taken. Junior high lunchroom, you, you know, you're going around trying to figure out where you're going to sit. You're like, oh gosh, oh gosh, you know. And then... There's Father, Son, and Spirit. They're like, we've been waiting for you. We've, we've saved this seat for you. We want you to sit here. And for someone that struggles with connection, that just feels really good. That what if what if God responds to me like that? I'm like, I want I want to be your friend. I want to be close to you. Um, Charles uh, asked me this week what scripture I wanted read uh, as part of the liturgy, and I was in the middle of reading one of Brene Brown's books. Daring greatly, and I was like, I think I'm just going to send you a Brene Brown quote. And he said, his text back to me was, "You are officially a liberal." <laughs> and, and I was like, Well, no, this is what I actually want to read. But um, I, if you've read Brene Brown, she she's got such good stuff about the topic of uh, relationship, and particularly she writes about vulnerability, and that's that's actually the theme of our our talk. Uh, today is how does vulnerability play into friendship with God? Um, and so she talks about vulnerability as when she's interviewed all these people and she looks at the people that have healthy relationships and healthy lives and, and what she calls wholeheartedness. She says the one thing that's similar for all of them is this sense of vulnerability, that they're able to jump in with both feet into relationship. They're able to to bring them their whole selves to the world and say, you know, this is who I am, you know, and and they don't have uh, something that's holding them back from doing that, um, and so they they gain connection from that. Now the flip side of that, she says, is shame, and shame is not just kind of the mopey feeling of shame, you know, like uh, shoulders down sort of feeling, uh, where you hide physically and literally and don't engage, but it's also the ways in which we engage the world with a false self that protects us. So it can be a very outgoing sort of uh, shame-driven life where I'm going to present to the world in such a way that it's going to protect me and I'm not going to let you know the rest of the story. So she says shame and vulnerability are kind of two sides to the coin. Um, and as I, was, as I was reading that, I was thinking about the Genesis story. So Genesis 2 and 3 and um, you're welcome to flip there back there for reference, but I'm just going to kind of tell it to you. Um, when when God creates the world, uh, and He makes and, and Genesis two and three is kind of creation story part two. You've got Genesis one, and then you've got Genesis two that tells it in kind of a different light. So part two, Genesis two, is talking about how God makes this world. In the center of it, there's this beautiful spot. It's this garden, and I picture it with rolling hills and 
lots of grass and trees and, and flowers and animals scampering here and there. And it talks about how God liked to take walks in the cool of the day. And I don't know if that was like a morning stroll or an evening stroll. For Dallas, it would have to be a morning stroll because it's still hot in Dallas until 10 o'clock. But um, so imagine like God going for the morning stroll through the garden. And it looks like he liked to go walking with the man and the woman, with Adam and Eve. So he looks for them in that one story. And so I picture God um, taking on this form where he walks through the garden and then he invites his friends to go walking with him. Because going for walks is kind of a friendship sort of thing, right? Like, if you're going to go for a walk together, if you're going to go get exercise together, you know, you might invite your friends. And so they go for walks and get a little exercise, and they name some animals and whatever else they're, they're out, out to do in the garden. Um, so this is a picture of, of this relational connection. And I think it's this friendship connection between God and Adam and Eve. Um, so, one other aspect of what's going on in that story is that at the end of chapter 2 it says, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, one of the things I love about the Genesis story, once you can kind of get past the you know, science versus Genesis kind of stuff, there's so much depth, I feel like, to the Genesis story. And when I read about them being naked but not ashamed, I think about vulnerability. And like, when are you more vulnerable or more physically vulnerable than if you are naked, right? And so they are, they are together they, with God. They are connected uh, to each other, to God, to creation. And they're not ashamed, but they're naked. They're vulnerable with each other. And so then the enemy comes, and the lie that the enemy brings is one, uh, again, I'm going to connect it to Brene Brown idea of scarcity. The, the lie is... There's not enough. You are not enough where you're at right now. You need this in order to be okay. You need to be like God. You need this. It's not scarcity as in you need, you need more food, so you need to get all the apples you can, right? It's a scarcity of, of self. It's a scarcity of lacking within uh, Eve and Adam's souls. And the enemy says, you need this in order to be okay. And so that's the lie that's believed, which is really one about shame. It's really one about I'm not enough. What I have right now with, with Adam and Eve and, and, and Adam and Eve and God is not enough. It's the opposite of the song that we sing, Jesus, you are enough for me. Um, and so um, the lie is believed. The command is broken. Uh, sin enters the world. And so the next time God goes for his walk in the cool of the day, goes out for the morning stroll, he looks for his walking buddies, and they're gone, like they're not showing up. They're hiding from him. And so he's calling out to them, where are you, where are you? And, and Adam answers eventually and says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That's the language. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Do you see the the shame that's mixed in there. And it's like he's thinking that God has come to connect and to walk and to spend time together. And he's like, it's safer for me now. It feels safer now to hide from you than to come out and be exposed to you. Knowing what I've done, knowing what I'm at, knowing the lack within me, it feels safer to hide than to be near you now. And so the interesting thing about how the enemy tempted Adam and Eve towards uh, with the idea of shame. He said, you're not enough where you are. And the result of the sin that followed was more shame. And so they're trapped in this, in this moment where um, 
we need connection. Like, I believe we need, uh, we're, we are made with a need for connection with God. We are made with a need for connection with, with others. Uh, Brene Brown suggests, and I believe that vulnerability is necessary. Being able to show up for all of who we are is necessary in order to connect. And yet we have this shame that keeps us from doing that. And it only gets grows worse and worse. The more that we the more that we live, the more that we the messages we receive, the more that we do wrong, the more that we have sin in our lives, the shame increases and the need for vulnerability is still there and connection is still there. Who is gonna save us from that predicament? We'll we'll get to that in just a minute. Let's talk about vulnerability first though, so we kind of are on the same page with what that means. If uh, if we sat down for coffee and I and I was like Let's have a vulnerable conversation right now. Why might that make you nervous? What, <laughs> what's scary about that, that line? Let's, let's be vulnerable right now. Seems like it's set up. You're going to say something bad. <laughs> the vulnerability is, I, I need to critique you. <laughs> And for me to be vulnerable is going to get at the very core of who I am. And there might be things about that that you're not going to like about me. Maybe you don't want to be my friend if you find out who I really am at the core of who. You know, it's it's to me that is, it goes very deep. And yeah. it's, it's at the core of what I think, who I am, and how I live out of that. Yeah. And I don't think we usually articulate all that in the moment. But the sense, when, that, when those moments come up, whether somebody says, will you be vulnerable with me or not, I think that like gut fear instinct of, yeah, I don't want to, it's that kind of thing going on. Yeah. Anybody else? Why, why does vulnerability make you nervous? Well, I mean, I knew very well that if I didn't know you, and you said that at a coffee shop, I would be like, how do I know I can trust you? Yeah. And we're also in a coffee shop. <laughs> Right. It takes trust to be able to want to be vulnerable. Hmm. You know, and I think, this is me being vulnerable, I think that sometimes we are not kind with other people's vulnerability. Mm. And so when I think about being vulnerable with other people, I think about what would I, how would I receive, like would I be judgmental if somebody's sharing this with me, and like that makes me more afraid. Like, I, I don't know, like, sometimes I, I get stuck in that space of, you know, other people share things, and, or you, you make super vulnerable, and it feels like, that was super messy, and, and then that makes me not want to share with other people, because I've been judgmental of somebody else's vulnerability, so I'm, like, putting that on them, like, well, they're going to react like this, you know, and it's not. Yeah, and it can perpetuate the shame, yeah. John? So, I've been in the That's it, that's it at that level. And then if you get into a sponsorship relationship with someone, 
you go all the way down into the deepest, darkest duties. But it takes a while to develop that trust with that sponsor that you can tell them that I ate a gallon of, you know, food, me, my screen, my sweet kid, I got sick. Right. You're not going to tell that to anybody in a coffee shop, but, it, but you have to have that grow that relationship with that sponsor. Yeah. You can admit such a thing. Yeah. Build the trust up. Ted? So I was just thinking about the, the problem that I have with, the, with getting vulnerable is right there in the word itself. Because the word vulnerable comes from the same word as wound. Mm. And so like it, it literally means like I'm, I'm making, my, making it so that, so that you could hurt me. Mm. And which I think adds like this extra visceral dimension to this level of connection that you're going to have with someone if you're going to be vulnerable. Like, let me give you what you need to have so that you can really hurt me. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> Does vulnerability sound like weakness to you? 
I think it sounds like courage. Like when I see people now, there's there's inappropriate vulnerableness, sure. And I, you know, I could get up and tell certain stories, and Julie would be shaking her head, and it would be like, all right, Paul, like we don't need that kind of vulnerableness in this setting. But when you see like true vulnerableness, you know, in, in moments where it it, it makes sense, um, you're like, wow, that that is courageous. That is that is daring. That is I, I wish I could be like that. Um, and I think that, um, as you were alluding to, Terry, when you when you do um, practice that vulnerability, um, there can be this sense of connection. There can be this sense of intimacy and friendship. Um, but like many of you, um, I felt like around my teenage years was I st- was when I really started to learn the art of being anti-vulnerable. Um, and you get into those later uh, elementary, early junior high years, and you get the message over and over again of, um, or we get that message, we are not enough. And it's interesting as as I notice my boys getting older and Caleb and David's you know, third grade now, and all of a sudden I hear him parroting back some message about that, like where I, where he's not enough. And I get so mad, not at him, I'm just mad that that's the message that he's getting. And I want to be like, no, that is not true. That is not who you are. And so I say that to him in those moments, but I know like, I can't follow him around everywhere and block that message from getting in. And it's just going to keep piling on in life. The message that if I'm not like this person, um, then I'm not enough. If I'm not the right picture of what a, a man should be or a woman should be, then I'm not enough. If I don't make these particular grades or I don't excel in sports or band or whatever we're in, then I'm not enough. Um, if if I uh, don't look this way or if, if I can't get this particular girl or boy to like me or if I haven't gone this far in terms of sexual experience, then I'm not enough. And that fear drives us. And it drives us sometimes in that introverted sense or sometimes in an extroverted sense. So that fear drives so much of how we live our lives. Um, and whether we got that message at school or we got it at home or we got it at church or wherever we got it, I think the idea is we got it. Like we got the message that, that we don't cut it. Um, and this is a different sort of message than saying we've screwed up. Okay, like the guilt of having done wrong things, the guilt of having sinned is different than the message of I am not worthy of, of love, that I am not worthy of, um, of being uh, valued. Okay, so do you see that difference? There's the I'm not valuable feeling versus I've done something wrong and I'm going to take ownership of that. So those two things, you have to kind of balance those out. Um, so... I know that that lie has been a strong part of my life. I feel God starting to undo that in me to where when I'm in those moments um, where that lie kind of pops up, sometimes I can recognize it for what it is and I still feel it down deep inside that I'm not enough sort of feeling. But then I can invite some other people into that experience and say, this is how I'm feeling. You know, what, what's, what do you think? And then I get affirmation or I get truth or I get connection in a way that starts to undo that messy lie and it breaks through and it kind of starts to dissipate that shame and I feel on the flip side of that I feel connected but as some of you have said there's times though 
when you, you put yourself out there and, and then you don't get what you need back or you don't feel like you got what you need back and it reinforces that shame and you, you're like, well, I'm not going to do that next time. But I think my conviction is that the more, the, the more and more I see that and the more and more I practice vulnerability played out, the more I believe that that is the way to overcome that shame is to reach out and connect or to trust other people into my life and to admit need and say, I'm, I have needs that I cannot meet. I can't fix all this. I need some help with this. Or to say, you know what I'd really love to see is this. I'm kind of scared to share that with you because what if you don't value that the way I do? Um, that's the part about what's being vulnerable is sharing your, your dreams and passions. And, and some people in our community are, are starting new things and trying new things. And they're like, you know, and... and you don't always get the response that you want, right? And that's scary, and, and that vulnerability. And so let's let's continue to support each other in those areas. Um, never is vulnerability more important or more maybe more difficult than in our friendship with God, because the very act of having faith is one of being vulnerable. Um, to have faith means you're offering yourself to God but you don't have a certainty of what's going to happen after that. Um, having faith means um, that you're trusting God with some of the deep questions and needs uh, that, you, that we have, like, where am I going? Why am I here? What's, what's the point of all this? And we're trusting God to, to fill those, those questions and fill those holes. Um, it, it's having faith because... Um, we're putting our trust in the spiritual reality that even even John in the gospel is like, no one has seen God. You know, They're like, dude, you spent time with Jesus. What are you talking about? He's like, no one has seen God. But you're putting your trust in the spiritual reality when our present world and our present place and time says the world is unenchanted. You know, there is no spiritual world. And so it's vulnerable just to put our faith in God. And. I think another difficulty in our friendship with God is um, that sometimes our friendship, our relationship with God is actually one that's based more in shame. And if our picture of God is that God's main concern is with our behavior and how well we're measuring up or that God will withhold his affection or his favor if, if we have not lived in this particular way or done this particular thing or that God is disappointed you know, the sense of, I think God's disappointed in me because I'm not measuring up to this or this, this or that picture of what it means to be in the kingdom or follow Jesus or whatever that looks like. If that's kind of the way our relationship with God looks, it's not a friendship. That's a, it's a relationship based on shame, right? And so that's a, that's a barrier to being vulnerable with God. Because why are you going to be vulnerable with, with God? It's hard to be vulnerable with gender. Why be vulnerable with God if you feel like, if I go there, then there's just shame. If I'm just going to have that shame re- reinforced. I'd like to suggest that um, if we go to God, that we can go there without shame. And I think that it's, it's really the enemy, that enemy that we talked about in the garden, that is the, the initiator of the shame. You know, the, the name Satan is a Hebrew Hebrew name. It's in the Hebrew Bible. And uh, it's actually a title. It's uh, Ha, which means the Satan, like Ha Satan. And that means the accuser or the adversary. 
And when Kara preached uh, a couple weeks back about uh, the picture of Job and Hasatan is in heaven saying, Job this, Job that, God, you wouldn't get Job done. That's the accuser, right? So Satan is this accuser that's saying, you are not enough. This person is not enough. This, see this over there? That's lacking. Okay? Picture, imagine uh, the enemy like that. And so um, the enemy says um, that we're not worthy of love. The enemy said at the beginning, you should, be, you should be gods yourself. And then when we just try to live our own normal lives and we fail miserably, you know, heaps on shame on us. The accuser suggests that we have to meet our own needs and that we can't rely on other people to meet our needs. Um, so who will rescue us from this trap? As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7, he talks about, and, and it's, you know, it's like, is he writing about himself or not? But when you go back and read Romans 7, he's like, I keep doing what I don't want to do. Like, that's my story of my life. And the good things I want to do, I find that I don't have the power to do them. You know, there's this sense of being trapped. And he says, who will rescue me from this situation? Who will rescue me from this body that feels like I'm stuck in this moment? And he says, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what does it mean for Jesus to save us in this way? Um, I want us to think about one other biblical character, and it's the Apostle John. And earlier I talked about uh, God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. And later on in the Old Testament, if someone was close with God, it talked about them walking with God. Like Abraham and Sarah walk with God. Noah walks with God. So if you're close to God, that metaphor of walking with God is part of, of, your, of the description of the Bible. So John is one of the disciples of Jesus that walks with Jesus. And early on, you know, if you think, if you read the gospel stories about John and his brother, you can see maybe that there's a little bit of that shame that's, that's driving their early relationship and that walk. Um, one of the stories is that um, when, when Jesus is rejected at one point, like Jesus puts himself out there, he shows, goes up to this village, and they're like, we don't want you. And James and John both say, let's just bomb them. Let's, let's do the firebomb and just destroy it. Let's destroy them. You know, and what, I wonder where that response comes from. Like, righteous anger? You, probably not. Probably there's a little bit of this insecurity, uh, you know, in that sort of like, let's just bomb them response, right? Um, later on, they send their mom to go and talk to Jesus. And they're like, and she's like, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can James sit on your left and can John sit on your right, which are like the seats of power and authority? So can they be elevated above all the other disciples here and, and have the, the seats of honor and glory? And they got their mom to ask, right? And Jesus is like, no, you, you don't get it, right? You don't, you don't get what you're asking for. But you see like this desperation kind of in, in James and John, these kind of power hungry guys. Like if, if we can get in God's good favor, we can get at the top of this group of Jesus followers. Well, towards the end of his life is when the scholars believe John wrote all these books, his gospel. Like he was, this was the last gospel, the letters, first uh, and second and third John. And you read first John and all John seems to be able to talk about is not bombing the enemies or being first anymore. All he seems to be able to talk about is love and how God loves us and how that makes us want to love other people. 
And he starts out that letter and he said, I want to talk to you about what I've seen, what I've touched, the one I've walked with. He talks about walking in the light in that letter, and it's that same walking theme. He's like, when you walk in the light, when you're walking with Jesus, then you're just you're covered, like you're you're forgiven, you're covered, things are good. And and so he says, he talks about how God first loved us in, in his gospel. He's like, Jesus moved into our neighborhood. He became vulnerable to us first. When we when we think about vulnerability in our relationship with God, we're like, oh, it's so hard to kind of make that first step of vulnerability. And John would suggest, I think, he's like, Jesus is the one who's making himself vulnerable to us first. Jesus is coming to us not to heap on more shame, but to offer himself first and say, this is how much God loves you. And then, you know, what's going to be people's reply? Well, I mean, some people were nervous about that and, and killed him, right? But he puts himself out there first. And so John says that when you start to experience this love, when you start to walk in this love, in chapter 4, verse 18 of 1 John, he says, there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. And so I want us to just, just for a moment, and then I'm going to get, get your input on something else. Um, imagine Adam in the garden, and he says, I hid because I was afraid, because I was naked. And then John says, I have walked with Jesus, I have experienced God's love in my life, and that's driven out my fear. Now, I used to just think of that as fear, like, oh, I just won't be afraid generally anymore. But John says it's the fear that has to do with punishment. And I think he's talking about the fear that disconnects us from God and from other people. Because in that section of the letter, he's saying, like, God wants you to love each other, even when that's tough. I want, he wants you to love each other. But a barrier to that is being able to receive God's love because we're afraid. But the more that John spent time around Jesus, the more he's just received that love, and it's driven out his fear, and it's allowed him to love other people. And I think that's powerful because it's moved from this place of, um, I need to get to the top to be okay, to where I've experienced God's love and I can love other people. You see the difference in that. So, I would suggest that in our friendship with God, God is vulnerable toward us first in love to Jesus. That when we go to meet with God, if our picture is one of shame, I think we've got the wrong picture. Because I think the first thing we experience even if we bring our junk, like our, our crap, our sin, the worst of us, I think the first message that we get from God is one of love, one of grace. It's not that he's not going to help us in that spot, and he's not going to heal us, and he's not going to offer forgiveness. He is. But the first experience I think we have of God is one of love, when we bring that to him. Um, so what does it look like for us to be vulnerable with God? Um, I think about like when we have a big decision on the horizon, if we trust God, maybe we'll bring him into that decision. We'll bring God in and say, what do you think about this? Because there's been times when I've been scared to bring God into a decision and because I'm like, oh, he's going to make me do something I don't want to do. Right. And so that's a, that is a, uh, I don't want to be vulnerable with God because I don't trust God sort of move. But if I've come to believe that God loves me and God is for me, then I want to bring him in because God has the best in mind for me. And so that's a, that's a way of being vulnerable. I think about uh, you guys, uh, Terry, and um, 
I think about the sense of being called into a neighborhood, and you're like, okay, should we really build a picnic table and put it in our front yard and then like go out and see what happens in connection with our neighbors? Like That's an act of vulnerability, to sense that God is inviting me into something and to say, okay, we're going to see how this goes. Right? You're being vulnerable with your neighbors, but I think you're also being vulnerable with God if you're feeling this call from God. So what else? Let me, let's, let's kind of finish up with what does it look like tangibly um, to be vulnerable with God? What do you think, Julie? Um, 
And I think one of our responses has to be that we suspend our disbelief, right? That there are reasons not to believe. There are there is fear that this won't be true. That this that there is nobody on the other side of the line. That um, that the, the presence that that uh, that had accepted me before won't accept me. Um, no matter what that presence says or what the Bible says or any of that. Um, and there's just this disbelief that exists inside of us um, that is persistent and I, I, I think never goes away. And I don't think belief is lack of disbelief. Right? I, I believe that belief is a decision that we hope for. Right? That there is a, there is a hope. And sometimes that looks like science fiction just to be honest. Um, and I think um, there are times where I deal with disbelief more than others. Um, and I just think that God is often faithful to meet us in those moments where we suspend our disbelief. And he shows up in ways that are tangible and that are, are beautiful, but it takes vulnerability first. Because you have to respond to the call of following you have to respond to the Adam, where are you? Right? Because he could have continued to hide and been like, I'm not answering. <laughs> right? Because I'm naked and I don't want you to see me like this. Um, but that, that disbelief uh, builds over time. And if it doesn't have a, a release to say, you know what, let me decide. To I think that's, that's where that separation comes mm-hmm. is our inability to accept his first step towards us. That he is stepping and asking where are He is asking us to follow him. And if we look at that and say, you know, I'm not going to believe again this time. That's what separates us from him. Thank you. Who else? John? We know John 3.16. What John 3.17 Bring it. Perhaps in other words, even when we got something to acquaint him, okay? Uh, show not pierce but have eternal life. Okay, wonderful. Post it. Next verse. No paragraph right, right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So those are joined together yeah. in the gospel of Up there are married, those engaged three times. I'm talking about vulnerability. You're engagement phase? Oh my gosh. Serious openness, serious candor, serious getting to know people. Marriage could be like this. This would be paradise. I have found paradise. Me and this woman are going to like, woo! Halfway ever after. Didn't happen to me, but I also look around with marriages to know that they go for love and love and doing what lovey dovey things have been. There's the distrust and the busyness and the other. Mm-hmm. But just remember, we've got him, really first love, that you thought you found somebody who felt anything and everything to they wouldn't betray you or run out of you or backstab you. And you're in a covenant for God's sake. Back to the, the uh, message for the pain. You're in a covenant. There's a covenant. Mm-hmm. You can't. 
before God. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Julie. Sometimes I feel like vulnerability, like I think about times when I feel really vulnerable, I'm like, if I haven't been to the gym in a couple weeks, I'm like, oh my gosh, when I go back to this, it's going to be so much crap, and I'm going to be so embarrassed because I can't keep up, and like, it's hard to just get over that hump of like, I just got to go back, it's going to be hard, why do I do this, it'd be so much easier if I just went consistently, and like, they're going to make all these jokes about where I've been, and like, sometimes I just kind of treat my vulnerability with God in the same way it's I think that 
that trust and that change of perspective. And, and Beth, your story, it kind of sounds like you weren't sure how God is going to handle this, but you're like, I can't keep this back anymore anyway. And I think that's where like, sometimes the reality of life, it's just going to bubble up no matter what. And all that insecurity and all, all the, the things that we've been trying to push down, they're going to come up one way or another. But, you know, most of the time I feel, I feel like we're trying, to, we're trying to hold all that back. We're trying to hold back the anger, the fear, the worst parts of us, even the, even the parts that the hopes and stuff, the good stuff that we, we're not sure about. And, but not include God in, in that. And so I just wonder, like, if, if we listen to those, those messages of Scripture and some of the other messages where people have seen that God's been faithful, if we think, maybe, maybe he is trustworthy. You know, like maybe, as Marquila said, maybe as you start to spend more time kind of listening and testing the waters, you're like, oh, maybe, maybe I can trust God a little bit more um, than I thought I did. So we need to wrap up. And um, I just want to finish with a, a prayer here um, uh, and with just a picture of invitation. Uh, so if you want to close your eyes, you're welcome to. But I want you to picture uh, Jesus and, um, and maybe you're walking together. And uh, this is from John chapter 14. He says, don't, don't let your heart be afraid anymore. Don't be afraid anymore. You can trust in God. You can trust me. You know, my father's house has lots of room. And I'm actually going uh, to get it ready for your arrival. And when you come, we are going to have a great time. I'm going to welcome you there. And we are going to walk together for eternity. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to walk with you. So, Lord, we... Uh, we ask that deep in our heart we can take even a small step forward uh, towards you, uh, towards opening ourselves a little bit as he's saying our heart is an open space, and yet we know that our heart is not an open space. Um, but if we could just open it, if you'd help us open it even just a little towards you so that we could, we could taste and see uh, that you're trustworthy and good and that um, in that vulnerability we could feel more connected to you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.